Good morning, Berean. Good morning. That was a great, all four songs were great. I love that last song. You know, I, I love how the Holy Spirit works with Valeris and who picks the songs because Gideon is going to need that confidence. I mean, great, great is God's faithfulness. Our confidence is in him. And Gideon still has some room to grow in his confidence. And personally, I love underdogs. I love underdogs. I mean, uh, here we go. We're, we're, we're coming here. That's why I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Because they're underdogs. I love rooting for the underdogs. Movies like Rocky. He was an underdog. I heard a story of a little boy that was in Sunday school, and the teacher asked the Sunday school class, what's the Apostles' Creed? And he raised his hand. He goes, that was Rocky's opponent in the first movie. Okay. I, I, love, I, I love underdogs. And, and, Gideon, and Gideon is an underdog. We're going to see that. We're going to see that today. And Dolores... What you said at the start, we're going to see that. He's a big underdog today. Okay, so we're going to see that. Last week, we were talking about Gideon, and we saw that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, they were put into the hands of the Midianites, the Malachites. And every time at harvest, the enemy would come into the land and take everything and the Israelites were fearful. They ran to the mountaintops. They were hiding in the mountain clefts, in caves. And they would return to their land, and their land would be destroyed. And we met Gideon last week, and he's a scared man. He's threshing wheat in a wine press because he is so scared. And you know, the angel of the Lord visited him and said, Hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon is saying, Who, me? I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm scared right now. But he made the angel of the Lord promise Gideon a victory over the Midianites and said, God will be with you. You will have victory. The song we just sang, Gideon had doubts. He did not have complete confidence in the faithfulness of God. So the first test, the angel of the Lord said, Bring me a meal offering, and which Gideon did. Took him about an hour to make or so. He brought it, put the food on a rock. The angel of the Lord took his staff. Fire came out of the rock and, I mean, destroyed. I mean, it actually took up the whole, burned up the whole offering, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. I don't know about you, but that would be enough to convince me that that was a special visitor I had. Now, God told Gideon for a test the first night, there's a Baal statue in town. It belongs to your father. I want you to tear it down and the Asherah pole next to it. So Gideon, still a little weak in his faith, went at nighttime with 10 servants and he tore the altar down. And of course, the people of the town wanted to kill him, and his dad actually spoke up to defend him. But Gideon is still weak in his faith. 
But God has a job to do for him. In your Bibles, you can look up on the board. It will also be here. But let's take a look at Judges 6, verse 33 through 35. Now, all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see this in the book of Judges, where the Spirit of the Lord comes on a person, very similar to the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon these individuals, and the judges were able to accomplish great tasks for God with the Spirit of the Lord in them. It's interesting that the first group of people that he recruited were people in his hometown, the Abizarites. If you remember last week, if you were here, the town worshipped Baal. So when Gideon pulled down the statue that we read about last week, there was probably some type of spiritual reformation or revival that took place in this town because the first group of people that he went to was his hometown. I find that very interesting. So he goes to the different tribes by him, and he recruits an army. And we see in verse 34, you know, he, and we're going to find out later that he comes up with 32,000 men in his army, 32,000. We're going to find out later that the other army, the enemy, has 135,000. So Gideon is certainly an underdog. But he has been promised victory by God. Right now, he doesn't have a lot of confidence, but he has been promised victory. He's growing in his faith. Gideon still needs, like, I, I still need more proof, God. I still need some more signs that, you know, we're going to get this victory. So let's take a look at verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wolf fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hands, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wung out the dew, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. In Christian circles, this is a, a phrase that is used, throwing out the fleece. And that's where this comes from. The definition is, it means asking God 
to guide us in a decision by fulfilling some condition that we lay down. It's pretty scary when you think about it that we're telling God what to do after God has already promised us what he is going to do. So you think of Gideon here. His, the victory has already been promised to Gideon. And he's going to go, and in his terms, he's going to tell God, you know, what he wants God to do. Warren Wiersbe, a longtime pastor, says he has seen this become a very dangerous practice among some of his members throughout the years. He's had members seeking God's counsel, and let's say they're talking to 10 friends, and they'll say, whoever calls me next, I'm going to go with their decision. Or someone will say, if it's sunny out tomorrow, I'm going to make this decision. If it's raining out tomorrow, I'm going to make this decision. And he has seen Christians get into big, big trouble by throwing out the fleece. It's really evidence that you lack faith. Amen. You really lack faith when you, you throw out a fleece and you can get in big trouble. Twice, in fact, in this section I just read, twice Gideon reminded God of what God had already told him. You know, Gideon says, I know, I know we're going to win. But just to show me, you know, tomorrow, I want this wolf fleece to have dew in it and the ground dry. And then he, he comes back a second time. Look at verse 39. And Gideon actually knows it's wrong. In verse 39, do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request and to reverse it. So it's a very dangerous practice. But it does show that God is patient and gracious with us because God goes along with the throwing out the fleece. Here Gideon is telling the creator of the universe what to do in his own terms. He, you know, who are we to tell God what conditions he must meet, you know, when he's already spoken to us what to do? And that's what Gideon Someone has said it this way. It really shows our pride. God has to do what I tell him to do before I'll do what he has already told me to do. I mean, to throw out the fleece is a sign of pride and unbelief. Today, how do we find God's will? How do we find God's will? Well, we have the complete Word of God right here. We have the Holy Spirit. We have prayer. Yes, we have Christian friends that are very helpful, but we, we have the complete Word of God. Gideon, at that point in time, did not have the complete Word of God. You know, I, I think of another person in Scripture who sort of like threw out the fleece in the New Testament, and uh, he's got a nickname, Doubting Thomas. And I think of these, the scripture in John 20, in verse 24. Remember, Jesus showed himself in a resurrection to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So in verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see his, the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, and here's the verse for all of us in the room today. Jesus is going to... This is a message for us. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I haven't seen the Lord physically, but I have faith. I have not seen, and you're as myself in the, in the same boat today. So we have the complete word of God. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mentioned this last week, but if you travel, you go into a hotel, and what do you see in the drawer? You see a Bible. And who's the Bible by? The Gideons. It's interesting how that worked out. J.D. Greer, I mentioned him last week. He's uh, one of my sources and a number of sources I use. And he says this, the cross is our wet fleece. You're saying, what? What does he mean by that? The cross is our wet fleece. Gideon looked at that wet, wet fleece and Gideon wanted assurance from God that God was on his side. When you and I look at the cross as a Christian, number one, it shows us that God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. That's how much God loves us. So when we look at the cross, right away we know that God loves us. What is Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, it, the cross shows us that God is in control. God, Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan. You see the Old Testament prophecies. Yes, the Jewish leaders were jealous. They falsely accused him. The Romans nailed him to the cross, but it was our sins that put him on the cross. It was all part of God's plan. The cross also shows us the victory of the cross and the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's approval that the price had been paid in full. When Jesus says, it is finished, the, the debt was paid in full. And God approved of that sacrifice, and we see that in the resurrection. What does 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says? Um, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that was victory over death and sin. So that's why J.D. Greer says, the cross is our wet 
fleece. When we look at the cross, we can have full confidence that God loves us, he's in control, and we have victory because of the cross. We go back to Gideon. The poor guy, he's like us. He still needs some confidence. He's still in that process of growing. Despite the food and the rock and the fire and the throwing out the fleece twice, he still needs to be tested in his faith. And uh, his faith needs to be tested. I mean, God wants to make sure it's genuine and he wants to strengthen. Another quote, I have a lot of quotes this week. Whenever I study, I, I surround myself by a lot of commentaries, and I go, oh, that's a good quote, that's a good quote, that's a good quote. And so I have a lot of quotes today. Warren Wiersbe, again, says, God often puts us through the valley of testing before, he, before allowing us to reach the mountain peak of victory. And um, Charles Spurgeon said that the promises of God shine brightest in the furnace of affliction. And Gideon was just a person like you and I. Yes, he was seeing God's hand, but he needed assurance. His faith needed to grow. You and I, we have our faith. We look at Gideon, we see those struggles, but you and I were challenged in the same way. I really like, I don't even know who this person is, uh, J.G. Stripe. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have one and use it regularly, but it isn't safe to use someone else's. We can sing faith of our fathers, but we can't exercise the faith of our fathers. We can't go through life depending on someone else's faith. So this morning, we can't depend on Gideon's faith. We can't depend on the faith of our fathers. Each one of us has a faith that needs to mature and grow. And as we see Gideon's faith tested, as we go through life, our faith will be tested. I ask you this morning, how is your faith? Is your faith growing? Is your faith maturing? Is it increasing as you go through life? 2020 has been a tough year. 2020, we're all, I was talking to Cheryl yesterday, we're all going to look back at 2020 like, wow, what hit us in 2020? Has your faith grown in 2020? I pray that it has. Take a look at chapter 7. Early in the morning, uh, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Wow. Anybody that's fearful, go home. 
and 22,000 people left. You know, in the battlefield, yeah, I understand there's fear, but fear has a tendency to spread. One fearful soldier, that can spread among the troops. Fear and faith cannot live together in the same heart, and God, in his testing of Gideon, says everybody that's fearful needs to leave. So now, remember, the enemy has 135,000 people. Think of the University of Michigan football stadium, completely filled, and then fill the field up with people, and you might get about 135,000. That, that's a lot of people, right? Now, Gideon's army is down to 10,000 people. And God gave the reason. He said, the reason I'm cutting down the army is because if you guys, and you are going to win, I don't want the strength of the army to get the credit. They're going to boast that it was the strength of the army that won. I'm going to provide the victory. I'm going to get the glory. So we're going to go, uh, we'll keep reading here. Before we go on, I have another quote. I told you I have a lot of quotes today. John Wesley said this. John Wesley, I'm, I'm envious of his hair. I like his hair. I wish I had hair like that. Okay. John Wesley says this. Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I will shake the gates of hell. Isn't that, isn't that a great quote? That is a great quote. Now, I come back to the statement Dolores made at the start. There's many, many churches. First of all, there's many big churches that are outstanding, so I'm not going to lump them all together. But there are some large churches that their faith is in statistics. Their faith is in their size, their budget, how many staff members they have, and in their programs. Again, I want to make it clear. There's many, many good big churches. Okay? I want to be clear about that. I would love this church to have more people. And I'm just being honest with you. I would love to have 200. Of course, if we had 200 people, we couldn't meet this morning, right? I would love to have 99 people here this morning. <laughs> 99 people here this morning. That, that would be great. Or two services of 99. You know, that would be fantastic. But I agree with what Dolores said. We're small, but we're united with the Holy Spirit. We love each other, and we're here. I, I, I love it. Because many churches overemphasize the statistics. Their faith is in their size. Size is no guarantee for God's blessings. Size is no guarantee that God is blessing you. There is sad news if you follow the week. Uh, the, largest, the largest Christian university in our country. It's a school that I have a Bible degree from. Unfortunately, I was sad to hear that they're going through a little bit of a scandal right now. It's not little. It's pretty big. With the leadership. You know, that's, it's a big school. It's, a, it's, it's the largest Christian university. Just, but just because you're large doesn't guarantee God's blessing. Now, it, 
I believe there's still many great things being done at that university, so I'm not, I don't want to lump the whole university in with a couple individuals. But size does not guarantee the blessing of God. And yes, we are small here, and it is our desire to grow. But we are united together in one spirit, and we need to thank the Lord for that. So I appreciate the words that Dolores shared earlier. Let's take a look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out uh, for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from the cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Can you imagine the enemy if they had any spies in the area? They're taking a look at Israel's army. You know, they start off with 32,000. Pretty soon, 22,000 leave. Pretty soon, now everybody's leaving but 300. They're going to go back, and they're going to say, hey, that Israelite army, they're falling apart. Everybody's deserting them. They're weak. They're in chaos. But God has a plan, right? God has a plan for them. And the weapons, before they left, before all the men went home, they gave, and really the weapons that they talk about are trumpets, torches, you don't hear a lot about swords or anything. It just So you don't hear a lot of weaponry. But they, they give it to the rest of the soldiers that were left. By the way, the, the lapping the water from the hands, nobody knows for sure why God picked them. Some have speculated that when the people were drinking water like this, they were able to look around. They were alert. At this point in time, the enemy was still four miles away. And those that put their head down into the water, they were vulnerable because they put their heads down. By the way, not all, all 10,000 people could do this at one time. Sometimes we think all 10,000 people went down to drink at the same time. That would be very hard to do, just room-wise. So I'm sure this took course during the course of the day. This, this took place. And um, 300 people were left. And, you know, I, I'm sure Gideon is going like, Lord, you know, here his faith needed to be tested. We're, we're, we're down to 300 people. So let's take a look at verse 9. During that night, uh, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pirah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, 
you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the midnight camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship. He re returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. You know, the, we see the graciousness and the long-suffering of God working with Gideon. And God realized that Gideon still lacks confidence. So I'm going to bring Gideon right down to the edge of the camp. So close that he could hear these two enemy soldiers talking about the dream. God knows their weaknesses. In Hebrews 4, you know, our great high priest in heaven sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He knew Gideon was weak. So over and over and over again, he wants to reassure Gideon that I've got your back. The battle's been won. You know, you take a look at verse 9, and in the... Uh, I don't know what translation to use. I'm using the NIV, which might not be the best translation. The New American Standard Bible has the verb tense different. It says, for I have given it into your hands. Where he says, the battle has already been won. You're not going to just, the battle's already been won. I'm going to give them into your hands. You've already won. It's encouraging and humbling to know that the creator of the universe is on your side. So, you know, and Gideon goes back to camp, and he's a new man. He's a new man. Hey, get up. We're going. You know, he, God uses dreams throughout the Bible. We, we, we see that in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Jacob, you know, Genesis, uh, Joseph in Genesis, dreams. Solomon had dreams. Daniel, Joseph, Mary's husband. Even unbelievers were given dreams. Nebuchadnezzar, Joseph's fellow prisoners, Pharaoh, Pilate's uh, wife was given a dream. Now, we cannot conclude that this is a normal way for God to give his message. We can't conclude that. Again, we have the complete word of God right here. But God, God in the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament, he used dreams to communicate. And I know my dreams personally are so confusing when I wake up in the morning, I couldn't make any sense of them anyways. There's a lot of times I wake up, oh, I'm glad that was a dream. You know, I go back to sleep. But God often, and you think of these two enemy soldiers sharing this dream and this interpretation. 
they didn't realize that these non-Christians, these ungodly people, were actually encouraging Gideon by talking about their dream. God can work through ungodly people, non-Christians, to encourage people. And, and that's what God was doing here. But of course, our best guidance, as we mentioned before, is the Holy Spirit, uh, God's word giving us direction on what we should do. That barley grain that was rolling down the hill, barley grain is only one half the value of wheat. It's what the poor people used to eat. So in this dream, when this barley roll is coming down the hill, it's talking about something in, inferior knocking down something that's superior. So here we have Gideon's army, with, which is inferior, that they would be given victory over a superior army. Gideon didn't mind being compared to a stale loaf of bread. He, he got the message, and he went back, as we sang this morning, he went back with greater confidence, greater confidence of what God had said. I love his response in verse 15. The first thing he did is he worshiped the Lord. He got down, he said, thank you, Lord. You are my confidence. My confidence is in you. So we take a look at verse 16. He goes back, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Do you think Gideon's changed from threshing wheat in the wine press? Do you think he's changed? Of course he has. He's a new person. He's, he's got a lot more confidence now in the Lord. Vance Havner, he was a longtime evangelist. He was for many years ago. He says, faith sees the invisible and does the impossible. Let me read that again. Faith sees the invisible, which is victory in battle, not yet fought. And he does the impossible. He wins the battle with few men and peculiar weapons. The, the horn, the trumpets they used back were like ram's horn or a chauffeur, it was called, that the men would blow into. And now Gideon is the example. Watch me, watch me. We're going to go around and, and watch me and just follow my lead. So he's come a long way. Throughout the Bible, you see people like Gideon that come a long way. When Jesus first was picking out his disciples, he comes to Simon, and he says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, or Peter, which means the rock. Now, if you know anything about Peter, he was nothing like a rock in his early days. But you know what? In the early church, he was a rock. So when God comes, like we said last week, you know, he doesn't always uh, call the brave, but he makes brave the call. 
The Lord comes to us and he sees us where we're at, but he also sees us where he wants to take us. And we see that with Gideon. We see that with Peter and others throughout. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anybody be in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And he can take a doubter like Gideon and make him into a general. And that's what God does. Take a look at verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, they broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, Grasp, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets um, that they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now picture this. They surround the whole valley. 300 men. It's probably 10 o'clock at night. Some of the men have gone to sleep already. Some of the men are up. All of a sudden, you hear trumpets. And by the way, the Midianites, and this is true in warfare, usually there is one trumpeter that had many soldiers behind them. Well, they heard 300 trumpeters. What does that mean? They thought that there was a huge army. And all of a sudden, there's all this light. The, the lanterns had a jar over them. So they, they, the light wasn't revealed until the jars were broken. So they broke the jars. The lights were revealed. You know, you're, a lot of the people were sleeping. So you wake up, you hear shouts, you see lights, you hear trumpets blowing, and then there's divine intervention. And we're going to see this in verse 22. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So these people woke up. They were confused. They start taking out their swords. They're probably blinded by the light. They're going around, and they start hitting each other, and then they start running. And, and, and for the lack of time, let me summarize here. They, they, just, they started running towards the Jordan, Gideon sends word to some of the tribes near the Jordan, the tribe of Ephraim. In fact, I want you to make a mental note of that. He did not call the tribe of Ephraim originally, but he did call Ephraim to help in the mop-up uh, situation. We're going to learn more about that next week. But here uh, we, we take a look at the verse 25. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They were named because that's where they were killed there. And they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. It's interesting that they killed this one enemy general in a winepress of all places. That's, that's where they killed them. So what an amazing, amazing victory uh, that God, and God got the glory because the victory was won with 300 people. It became a landmark event in history of Israel. 
is, is mentioned in Psalms 83.11, Isaiah 9.4, Isaiah 10.26. This victory is mentioned. So as we conclude this, Gideon was not a superhero. He didn't have special powers. We see him as a scaredy cat. We saw that last week in the early chapters. We, when we look at Gideon, when we look at the apostles, when we look in the past at, in our life, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, sometimes we look at them as superhumans. They're not superhumans. They, they put on their pants just like you and I do. They're, they're, they're no different. But you know what? They made themselves available. And the spirit of the Lord was on them. And they were used by God to make an impact in their generation. The reason I say that is we're often like Eeyore in the Winnie the Pool. We, we walk around and it's like, oh, we can't do anything. I have nothing special about me. God can't use me. That's wrong. God has a plan for you. And each Christian has been given spiritual gifts. You know who gives you spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit distributes the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are different from talents. People are given talents, too. And when, when people are given talents, it might be because of their genetics. Uh, it might be their environment. A musical family, for example. A son or daughter might grow up with musical ability because of genetics and just there's music all in their family. And they can use those, those talents for personal gain, for personal recognition. Spiritual gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of them? To build up the church for the edification of the church and to bring glory to God. And because they're spiritual gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit is involved in that gift. Who are we to limit the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life? The... Um, Fourth song we sang today. One of the authors, I did not know this, Cheryl just mentioned it to me this morning. Uh, one of the authors, his name is Stephen uh, Verdick, and I have a quote by him. Uh, oh, by the way, I should take this quote from J.D. Greer, uh, Greer as well. Uh, we play a part in the activity of God in our generation. Just, just as Gideon made an impact on his generation, Billy Graham, D.L. Moody, just as they had an impact, this is our time and place. This is our time to make an impact. In 2020, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your work, this is our time and place, okay? Now, let, let's switch to that next. Uh, there he is. He's one of the authors of the fourth song that we sang today. He says this. It's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you, than you all. It's equally as dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. God has given us value. We're made in the image of God. 
He has gifted us with spiritual gifts. He wants to use us to impact this generation. So we need to get out there like the Gideons. Yeah, our faith might be weak, but we need to grow our faith and trust in the Lord. The battle is his. I was uh, thinking of a song in closing of some of the hymns I grew up with. One of the songs I used to sing growing up is um, Faith is the Victory. And I... I'm just going to read the first verse. Listen to this first verse and then think about Gideon. It says this. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise. And press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe and veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. And goes on, faith is the victory. Gideon had faith. His faith grew. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And I pray that God will open our eyes to see what we would do. That he would open our eyes. God, God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. God has a plan and purpose for us. And he, he's provided the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we need to open our eyes to see ourselves as God sees us. Let me uh, close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the cross today. I thank you for the cross, just proof that you love us. It's, it is our wet fleece. You show us that you love us so much that you're on our side. Lord, we see that you're in control of all things. And Lord, at the cross and the resurrection, we see victory over death and over sin. So Lord, we are victors. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The battle has already been won. Our full confidence is in you. I thank you so much. I pray that our faith will grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.